Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us here at another Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Kitchen to Shelf. Kitchen to Shelf is the educational arm of Next Level Brands CPG community and the provider of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. Whether you're an early stage startup, a local growing business, or a regional powerhouse, Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, I'm Steve Clear. Welcome to the podcast. And with me today to talk about many things besides just food and, and poker and things is Brian today. Brian's a 33-year-old entrepreneur, the founder of Oats Overnight. He studied at Grand Valley University before leaving to pursue professional poker. And after more than a decade of playing high stacks cash games, Brian took his passion for risk, analytics, and game theory, that would be the perfect combination, to a new type of competition, crowded breakfast foods industry. As a health and fitness enthusiast, Brian had already spent years experimenting with homemade oatmeal recipes that complemented his workout regimen and demanding schedule, but looking for something more convenient, shelf-stable, that would save him time without compromising the nutritional breakfast, Brian created Oats Overnight, the first spoon-free, high-protein oats formula based out of Tempe, Arizona. That was 2016. In the time since, Oats Overnight and the team has grown to eight figures in annual revenue, served over 10 million meals. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. So, um, I, and I wasn't kidding. I, you talk about a perfect background for going into CPG entrepreneurship, uh, high stakes poker. So um, talk a little bit about, you know, you, you got into this, of course, as many people get into food and beverage, which is a personal need, but what were you studying in university and how did you get to the poker tables? Yeah, so I was on a different path early on. Um, I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't really know what that meant. I just liked science and math. And so um, I found myself in, in pre-med in Grand Valley State University. Um, at that time, I was also playing online poker during the poker boom with when, we, when you saw the, you know, Chris Moneymaker winning the World Series and party poker was big, all that stuff on TV. Um, yeah, so that time I was playing in, in lectures. <clears throat> I was playing in lectures and uh, kind of splitting my time. And it, it I was probably, I was doing okay at each, but I knew I wanted to kind of choose a course and stick with it. So the poker yeah. went up there. <laughs> All right. So not, not everyone, of course, in the audience here is an aspiring poker player, but most of them are going to be aspiring, um, you know, food people. So you're, when you go professional, explain just a little bit about kind of what the circuit and kind of what your days and stuff are like when you're doing that. Yeah, so there's no real like qualifier to say you're professional or, or amateur. It kind of just comes down. It's it, it kind of comes down to you know if you're supporting yourself, making a living. There's professional poker players, you know, quote unquote, that will make 40, 50k a year, and uh, that's great. Um, stressful way to make 40, 50k a year, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but um, there's also people that make you know millions a year. There's a whole the whole spectrum there, and just many different levels. Um, so I think the that journey through those different levels was probably the most important thing to learn uh, when coming to CPG. And, and as a routine is, um, were you mainly around like a Las Vegas or were you going from Jersey to Vegas and traveling and doing all that stuff? Yeah, I lived at, so I, I grew up in Michigan. I went to Arizona and was playing online and then casino Arizona for a while. And when I outgrew those games, I was living in LA and Vegas. And the last six years of my career, I was splitting my time between each place. So I was on and off week on week off. And you were still trying to be fit and stuff and healthy when you were doing this, right? So what, what was your kind of, you know, your metabolic routine or your, your nutrition routine when you were, when you're still playing? 
yeah, it was it was tough. You know, when you're playing poker, some sessions, you know, usually you're playing for 10, 12 hours at a time, sometimes up to 30 hours at a time. It's, it's a very interesting uh, schedule. Um, a lot of issues that come with that with, you know, messing with your circadian rhythm and such. Uh, so it's very important to just stay healthy when you can work out when you can um, and eat as many clean foods as you can the casino doesn't always have good options and so um you know you're, you're really gonna, I thought, yeah, yeah, bring, yeah. Bring, your, bring your lunch kind of thing so yeah so uh, overnight oats in a homemade sense were just perfect um i was making them in vegas or making them in la um and i would just stock all the ingredients and when i'd show up to each place you know i'd whip up uh, a homemade version uh, mine was always spoon free in the shaker cup so it was more like a protein shake oatmeal hybrid <clears throat> and it was it was great it worked out well so um when you were designing this, as it were, creating it, um, you were looking for not only a health aspect, but also some portability, right? And so that that goes absolutely. into the design? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the biggest thing is, the idea is you get to spend zero minutes on breakfast and still eat a whole food meal. Um, that's, you know, it competes with bars really well in that way. Nobody really likes to taste the bars. You know, powder and water drinks like others aren't always the most satiating and so this was a nice way to kind of middle that and still have a grab and go meal that fills you up okay so i can see you packing your own breakfast i got no problem there how does the transition come from playing poker to i think i'll make this and sell it to somebody yeah so so poker i I kind of i guess in the last few years i was hitting the peak of the poker world um and it was you know there were the poker is interesting in that it's a tough way to make a make a living. Um, it's very competitive. The ceiling is not that high. I mean, the money is good at the higher levels, but you know, nobody's, nobody's scaling things past the time that they put at the table. So right. it, was never, it was never a situation for me where I saw myself playing poker professionally at age 40, 50, you know, plus and being happy. Um, and so I was, I was kind of, my eyes were open in my late 20s for other opportunities. And I've always wanted to build something. And this, this kind of fell in my lap. And, and so you're, you're sort of traveling or at least going between uh, the two metros and whatever else. Um, did you start by sharing uh, your oats and your own creations with people that you knew or, you know, how did that, how that idea that, Hey, I can, I can sell this to somebody and it might work go. Yeah. We were sharing it with friends. Um, I was making it with friends, you know, our, our little friend circle had their own you know, recipes, we were kind of making them together and, um, you know, sharing. It was, I was also living in LA and overnight oats were getting a little more popular here uh, faster than the rest of the country. And so it, honestly, to me, I was shocked that people weren't packaging and selling them yet when we, when we did a search. That was actually the initial inspiration is I would run out of oats or I'd run out of protein and I just wanted to get a prepackaged version so I didn't have to stock all the ingredients myself. Um, also switching between flavors, you know, you need to stock all these different protein flavors. It just, it isn't very feasible. Um, and I'm not necessarily a grocery shopper also. So when seeing that there was such a demand in the market for overnight oats recipes, volume on Google was crazy high, hundreds of thousands of searches every month um, and no products sold. It just seemed like a great opportunity. Um, actually it does. Yeah. Um, because you're going into white, white space in the market, which is a lot easier than, Hey, I'm going to do an energy bar and I'm going to go sit with everybody else in the, on, on the shelf there. Um, so did you start then investigating also Google? Did you look into like, okay, who makes something or who could make something? Or did you start in a commercial kitchen and work it up from there? Yeah. So this is where our inexperience came into play. <laughs> we knew nothing about food production, CPG, e-commerce. I Googled everything, was reading everything about FDA, GMPs, um, anything I could find. <clears throat> you know, we talked to some co-mans and 
uh, MOQ, first off, they couldn't do it in the way we built the product. I think it's, it's kind of funny how, um, thinking back at how, how this was made, it was measuring each ingredient independently with no mind for at scale manufacturing. So it was like scoop of cheese, right. flax, scoop of oats, you know, different, different weights. Um, and so that didn't scale well. And that's really where we get a unique, kind of a unique manufacturing process that we've constructed. Uh, but it turns out going to co-pack this in this format is very difficult. It's extremely expensive, um, high upfront cost and machinery. And so we just couldn't do it. We ended up just building our own little facility, hiring some friends, uh, pulled some people from poker in the early days, <laughs> which is some of them are still around. And uh, yeah, and, and built the company that way. It was, you know, it, it's crazy looking back that we were, we did that, but that was the route we took. Um, and, and that's, yeah, that, that is unusual. Although if if it's a high control that you need in creating the product, it, it is also like the option as opposed to fitting it into a co-man and giving your recipe with a scoop of this and a scoop of that and having them try to figure out how to how to run that. Um, what about financing? How, how did you touch you build your little plant? Yeah, so it was a combination of uh, a really sticky product and um, some personal savings I had for poker. Um, I had I was fortunate enough to save up a little money, uh, which you know financed the first couple of years. I didn't take a salary uh, the first couple of years. Um, just lived off the money that I had saved from poker over that period, and um, you know of course went broke after a while personally. <laughs> Translated it all the oats, um, but you know then and then we've gotten some some debt financing uh, recently, and just more recently closed an equity financing round uh, coming up on five years in business. So within within between you and the rest of the team, all right. So so you guys are. I mean, it's a commitment to talk about we're going to put together a little, a quote unquote, little facility or whatever, however you describe it. Um, did you guys look at plan or anything as to, okay, where's this going to go? This is going to go 7-Eleven. This is going to go on Amazon. How did you guys look at that from, again, a level of inexperience to a certain extent in CPG? Yeah, I mean, we looked at it all wrong. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> the, the assumptions that we made were all incorrect. I have some of the notes still. Um, and looking through them, awesome. it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it's like, wow, we just had no idea what expenses go into making a food product. But I'll tell you that I thought the investment was going to be a, a small portion of what I had saved and it ended up being, you know, like 150% of that, <laughs> that amount. Um, it, it's never it's never what you think it's going to cost, especially when you're dealing with manufacturing. So um, it, it was it was interesting. A lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of tough times, like stressful times, of course, in the early years. Um, fortunately, I was I was very primed for that coming out of the poker career. <laughs> right. um, so I think I, I um, you know, that might've been a little easier than, than with most, but, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of lost my train of thought there. So sorry. No problem. We'll take care of that. Take care of that. Cool. Um, yeah. What, what was the question? I just got a little sidetracked and I thought. Um, uh, so, so I was asking was um, when you, so you've committed at this point to a facility and some equipment, uh, but then what about the opposite side, which is sales and where was this product going to be sold? How did you guys look at that? Yeah, I got totally on a tangent. Okay. <clears throat> so yeah, so we, we committed to the, the production side and the fulfillment side. We did all of that internally. Um, the opposite side of it, where we wanted to sell it, um, we, we initially thought online, you know, I was digging into Facebook and doing a lot of research at that time. It was certainly closer to the golden years in Facebook. Facebook's shifted a lot over the last four or five years. Right. But I, you know, we hired an agency. They were not good. Uh, couldn't answer basic questions that I had. And so I quickly <laughs> realized, uh, the agency route, especially when you don't know who you're talking to or there aren't any warm intros is really difficult. So it's something that I took under my belt and, and learned Facebook ads. 
Um, we didn't really have much of a plan for retail. I think we, we thought about them getting merchandise on little hang tags and we want, <laughs> it's, it's just funny. We, we like poked holes in the top of the packs and we thought they'd be on a little carousel. Makes no sense what we were, <laughs> what we were doing. Again, my notes are hilarious, but, um, you know, quickly learned of course, and, and kind of a trial by fire. Um, did you, on the retail side, did you begin by going to local stores or? So we actually just launched retail about four or five months ago with Wegmans. Um, yep. we, the, the entire first four years, all direct to consumer. Uh, okay. we've, we've always went like went around to yoga, sh- yoga studios or like little supplement stores and, you know, handed out samples and sometimes they buy some uh, wholesale, but nothing, nothing too scalable, a little s- smaller stuff. And from the, um, uh, so are, besides you're on Amazon, uh, other platforms as well, are you doing anything or? Yeah, so our .com makes up like 75, 80% of our sales. Amazon's yeah. about 20%. Um, and then of course, retail now. We're excited about the retail direction. It is a new product that we launched in retail that fits a little more on shelf, um, but really excited to see how that goes. And how did you alter it to fit size-wise or? Uh... Yeah, so we ran, we ran into this issue where, you know, we went to Expo West just because I feel like that's what brands do. Um, I can't imagine we get any value out of it <laughs> outside of just the, the enjoyable week and seeing other, seeing other products and meeting suppliers. But um, <clears throat> we were never in retail. So distributors would always come up to us and ask like, hey, you know, you're interested in distributing this or, you know, we'd right. love to carry it. Um, but the pouches, we never, we never had a lot of faith that the pouches would work on shelf. You know, it was, a, it was mm-hmm. look at it as oats overnight. Of course, they think of it as oatmeal. It's much more than an oatmeal. It's more of like a meal replacement, you know, protein shake oatmeal hybrid. Um, and the bottles are required, right? So do we package it with the bottle? Do we, do we sell the bottle separate? Uh, do we instruct them to get a bottle elsewhere? It was just very clunky and it's something we never wanted to pursue. We, we, we certainly wanted to be in retail. We knew there's scale there and certainly our customers were shopping there, but it was something we pushed off um, for years until we, we knew we had to solve for a problem, get an all-in-one solution <clears throat> that didn't require the need to buy milk or uh, a cup. Like if you go into, yeah, you go into a buyer's desk and you put your pouch in there and it falls over. That's not a good, good sign for the buyer. Right? They, <laughs> yeah. And then people make it out of a bowl. They, they, you know, they make it with eight ounces of milk and use a spoon and it's a little soupy. It's a, it, there's a lot of issues on our website. Um, not, I mean, not a lot, but, but certainly some, um, even with all the, all the videos and the instruction around it. So we figured on shelf, it wouldn't communicate as well. Um, but we did create a very unique product uh, in a bottle, like a single serve. Um, yeah. With no shaker cup needed, you just add water. There's a powdered oat milk that we created in there that activates with the water. Uh, ah, so yep. if you added a cup of Oatly. Um, and yeah, so now it's an all-in-one solution. Just top it off with water, shake, refrigerate, and you get to wake up to the really similar product, grab-and-go high-protein oatmeal. The is, I mean, you have an educational aspect on the website, obviously. And by the way, what, what's the website so folks can find it? Yeah, it's oatsovernight.com. Okay. Um, is when it started to become popular in the sort of natural health vegetarian, you know, era, uh, area, um, the concept of, I need to mix it up tonight in order to have it tomorrow is a little bit of a stretch in the immediate gratification thing for consumers, but you find most people figure that out pretty easy and it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's an interesting, I think it's kind of an interesting like psychology we, we kind of tapped into, I think people want to make their own food. Like they, they don't want to take the easy way out. Uh, this, this provides this, you know, it's, it's like the satisfaction of, of preparing your intentional about what you're going to eat the next day. It removes that decision the next day. 
um, you're kind of diverting that time that you would take maybe in the 10 minutes, 20 minutes in the morning, unsure what your breakfast is going to be, moving that time into the front end, uh, like kind of front loading it to the night before. Um, and it just makes you wake up with, with a little more direction. You know, you wake up, you know what you're going to eat, you get your day started faster. It's with a healthy meal. So we find that that extra step, while it may look as inhibiting to some, it's actually a, a value add. Shoppers, I think, yeah, in, in general, want to participate somehow, even at a level, you know, which goes back to the, you know, the old days with, you know, Betty Crocker is the only reason you put egg in the cake mix is because they want you to participate. They want you to make, feel like you're contributing, doing something, making something. They can put powdered egg in there and just throw in water and the cake will bake. Not a problem. So yeah, it's, it's always, it's always an interesting, um, interesting thing of where the consumer's kind of interaction comes with that. Um, when you, when you were going in the original e-commerce hundred percent, um, building the website, building the audience, um, I assume you got through the agency to another agency or whatever, or how did, how did you get to the web that worked? You mean for like the development side or, or the, or the yeah. digital marketing side? Yeah. Well, both. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how'd you get it from a design side standpoint and how did you get people to actually come to the website? Yeah. So the design side, we engaged a friend who was in branding um, and he was, he was great. Uh, it was a small little package deal. He put together, he helped us out with the branding and the packaging, which was nailed. We still have a similar, really similar brand today. Although the style has definitely um, been used elsewhere a lot. Um, we got popular around the time we did it. Um, and any other website, you know, <laughs> we, we a lot of tech debt. I'll tell you that um, we've been unwinding like the, the two or three years after we were unwinding a lot of tech issues. Um, we, we got it done only for the front end look and didn't really think much or know much about the back end. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of common mistakes, I'm sure, but it worked. And so we were happy um, with, with Facebook. Um, that was a time, I mean, CPMs were a lot, a lot lower at that time. And it was probably easier to win with a unique product, uh, less, less other large scale advertisers on the platform. And so, um, right. you know, easier, easier to market. But yeah, we, we really dove in. I mean, our whole team, like myself, um, if you were talking to somebody on the Facebook or Instagram the first three or four years, it was probably me um, or another teammate that we have, Caesar, one of our first employees. And yeah, we were very close to the customers. And I think that's, that's what always kept us with that edge is we were able to iterate on product and respond to feedback in a very real-time way early on. From the physical side, did you guys and do you guys still do your own fulfillment or how did you handle that? Yeah, we have 85 employees now um, in Arizona, uh, about 20 people on the fulfillment team, um, but it's essentially a full, uh, full fulfillment center, fully functional, um, which allows us to do a lot of customizations and extras um, that would you know, be quite expensive at a 3PL. And the manufacturing side is, is all internal as well. Oh, and you're still, you're, you're, okay. wow. Okay, so that, that double commitment, <laughs> both, yeah, both ends, yeah, the manufacturing. Right. Um, do, do you, all right, so where you are now, and in, in, in obviously you're shipping to, to, to Wegmans, you're shipping to the East Coast or you know, Mid-Atlantic. Um, do you look at a facility at some point in time east of the Mississippi as well as Arizona, or how do you handle that from a- from Yeah, a you know, I think- I think right now, I mean, that's kind of a trade-off between, you know, cost to ship product and I guess bandwidth and cost required to open up a new facility. 
right now the numbers work out where we'd much rather ship um, <laughs> operating a whole different right, manufacturing right. operation might be a little too much, you know, downstream. Maybe we've, we've certainly talked about opening a fulfillment center on the East coast um, to save costs, uh, you know, with all the packages we're shipping. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot, you know, one, one is still quite tough. Um, you know, we have a great team, but it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And shipping costs are, as we speak, um, increasing. Yes, I mean, it's just a, a lot of pressure right at the moment. And uh, uh, I was, it actually was, it, it interviewed someone who was importing from uh, Europe and their packages were small enough and light enough that they imported by air. And of course, when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden there's not flights going and whatever is going is now 10 times as much as it was, you know, the, the week before or whatever. So they had to go to ship, right? Container. Well, that's great, except A, I, there's now pressure on containers and I'm going to miss six weeks because it's going to take six weeks for the container to get here. It used to be, you know, it was coming into Kennedy or LaGuardia or wherever and we were picking it up. Now, can't do that now. So it's a whole a whole new a whole new thing. Um, but but trucking and shipping sure are, look like they're going up. And I was reading this morning, you know, there's a chicken shortage and there's all kinds of things coming. So as things open up, it's putting pressure back on a reduced logistical side coming into it. So um, on the retail side, Brian, let me ask you about uh, Wegmans obviously would be most people's first, if, if it wasn't Whole Foods, it'd be Wegmans that you want to be in to really have that kind of halo. Um, do you think you're going to do a coastal kind of, you know, like, are you an Erwan or whatever? Any, uh, we're not an Erwan right now. Um, our okay. product, you know, it's interesting. We, we definitely could play in in natural specialty, but we're also, online maybe our demographic data aligns more closely to conventional um and so, so we're, we're excited to explore both but we're in some uh safeway albertson spanners united market in the south and yep. uh, northwest um and so we're in about 250 stores right now just just getting started um but you know we're just talking to a handful of other large retailers and yeah Publix pops to mind is one that might be a good one too yeah that'd be a good one for us for yeah sure. right fingers crossed <laughs> Um, and there, and there's a number of the the um, number of conventional grocers who are trying to make sure they're reaching out to different audiences and stuff. Now that uh, re returning to whatever the the normal is, um, from the uh, effects of the pandemic, what what did it do to you guys from uh, you know from from both a team standpoint and a sales standpoint? Yeah, so I, the biggest issues we had. Um we're manufacturing. I think that, you know, all commands and all brands that work with commands, I'm sure dealt with a lot of unpredictability with, you know, staff being out and, you know, runs yep, getting yep. delayed. Just, just the whole mess. The, this is a huge benefit of owning your own manufacturing and having relationships with your suppliers. Um, we were able to contact, like, as soon as all the shit hit the fan or whatever, uh, we were able to contact each one and ask, are there any downstream issues? Like, what is the risk here? Those that, you know, assured us there were no risk. We stayed on regular schedules. Uh, a few times, you know, they said, hey, actually, we're, we're looking at some extreme shortages if X, Y, and Z happens. So we would just front load our orders and make sure there was no disruption. Uh, that saved us a ton of time, um, a ton of potential issues that I think other brands wouldn't have even had visibility in, um, you know, through a co-man who's sourcing their ingredients and dealing with those relationships. So just huge plus one for, for operating your own facility and dealing with your suppliers directly. Um, you know, we were able to adjust things for safety, uh, spread out shifts, um, six feet when possible in, in, in the building, temperature checks, all that, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, we had minimal disruption relatively. The biggest concern, of course, is that uncertainty is, you know, are people going to get sick? Is everyone okay? Is everyone safe? And that's right. what we 
focused on, you know, mostly on the, on the sales side, we actually, you know, grocery crushed it. I, I think I, I had so many calls from friends like, Oh, you guys must be killing it right now. And the reality is we weren't. Um, so our product was 40% commuters uh, at the time of the pandemic and all of our messaging yeah. aligned heavily with on the go in the morning, you know, grab and go, you know, most people during the pandemic are, you know, someone in the family is doomsday shopping once a month for just a ton of groceries. <laughs> yeah. that, probably, that probably includes eggs, bacon, you know, so now we have people on their conference calls in the morning cooking eggs in their underwear. They're not rushing out the door with oats overnight. Right. Um, so it's, it was a, it was a shift in behavior for sure, and and a shift I think that helped grocers and stuff. But it hurt us. Um, so we did pull back uh, in early 2020. We pulled back a lot of marketing, changed messaging up, focused a lot on retention. Um, it, we we kind of just did what we could, and and the the spotlight shifted to retention, knowing that the world would probably get back together someday. Um, and it is now, as we're seeing with our with our lifted revenue. Uh, but at the time, focusing on retention, how do we improve our subscriber program? Um, we added a new program that totally changed the game for us, where we now um, include subscribers on flavor development. So every month, if you're a subscriber, ah. you get a free pack of a flavor that's currently in development, and we get that direct feedback from customers. So it helps them get close to the brand, of course, and have a say in what they're what we're going to release. And it helps us make data-driven decisions for what flavors we launch downstream. So um, the, a, lot of, a lot of big like kind of wins in that, a lot of silver linings, but overall 2020 was a tough year for us. When you look at, and, and a lot of people have um, subscription type programs or whatever, but did you guys structure because you had multiple flavors um, and, and do you allow like the consumer to build kind of their own or do you guys pre-source that and say, okay, so for, you know, for May, you're going to get this, June, you're going to get that. How's that work? Yeah. So we have all, we allow uh, subscribers to fully customize. We got like 12 flavors now and we're constantly making new ones. Um, so they can customize anything by email. Uh, we're happy to switch up flavors and they get one, like the flavor and development ships by the calendar month. So this month's caramel cold brew, it's caffeinated vegan flavor. Really good, really good one. Last month was carrot cake the month before. Uh, was one of poppy seeds. So a lot of unique, fun flavors that we get to try out. Um, not all well-received. I mean, you know, we get a healthy mix on each, but uh, most of them are, are loved. <laughs> There's certainly some that are pretty controversial. And yeah, but that, but that makes it work. The high degree of personalization, um, you know, obviously makes it, uh, makes it special for sure. Um, temptations to do things like club stores or, uh, other types of venues or, or more wholesale um, I'm thinking thrive and in abound things like that or are you going to stick pretty much conventional grocery at this point yeah I mean right now um, we're just exploring we're going slow uh, we're still figuring out manufacturing and we want to make sure we're prepared for for really serious scale our online business is growing um, <clears throat> with the pouches but but yeah you know I think we're going to explore everything I'm talking to Costco next month uh, very excited about that and uh, I think it's the product plays well in a lot of different areas. So we're going to test it all. It, it, uh, yeah, because there's, 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 well, there's so many opportunities, there's almost too many opportunities, but which, which is yeah. <laughs> uh, deciding between them can be, can be fateful. But um, I, I was reading where, you know, CVS, for instance, is going to be carving up more space for foods, um, you know, in, in the drugstore and they want healthy, functional, well, right, right. So it's like, okay, you can, look at something like that and say that might be a real opportunity because again where people are and where their stores are there's either commuting or they're in metro so you know that people are you know it may be a substitute for going out and getting some type of, of fast food or something um did you guys do any food service stuff at all anything with institutions cafeterias or 
No, no food service. Um, our product is, needs preparation, so it doesn't lend itself uh, really well, well to the food service. You know, on the CVS note, though, we have seen, I've talked to a lot of people that have, have seen, you know, more shopping, more grocery shopping in CVS. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the idea that people are kind of going out during the pandemic, if they don't want to make multiple stops. So when they pick up their prescription, which is mandatory, they'll stop by and, and see what else they have for food uh, to save a trip to the grocery store. So that, that is an interesting channel to explore moving forward. And yeah, and also from the um, from the store location, there's a lot of places that not they aren't necessarily food deserts, let's say, but they're not well served or conveniently served by a conventional grocery. And so those either smaller shops and or the drugstores have looked at the smaller shops that are that are in the metros and go, hey, wait a minute, we can sell that stuff. And by the way, we can buy it at a lot cheaper price, and put it forward what space they're giving up for hair coloring and, you know, whatever else, you know, who knows, but uh, clearly there's enough margin in those products to make it, to make it uh, drugstores, you know, take a, take a second look at it. Um, new product. I mean, you've just got done obviously with your retail formulation. So any new product stuff coming down, down the line, you guys are, are looking at or thinking about that you can, that you can talk about without. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we do have a lot of good stuff coming up. Some inclusion type, products that are going to be unique for overnight oats very excited about that um and and a few different product formats uh we're 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 still kind of working out product roadmap and and we have a ton i'll be honest we it's kind of our nights and weekends project we're always developing new stuff and we have a bunch of products that could work but we definitely want to stay in our lane i think there's a lot of a lot of sky left for for overnight oats especially in this format um but yeah we will be launching a bunch of new products over the next couple years do you do you think that sort of or sort of mid post pandemic, or as we go to whatever the new normal is going to be, um, that food functionality, immune criteria, uh, gut health, all these things are going to, are going to have more of a focus. Yeah. I mean, I think they've probably already had a much bigger focus and a growing focus year over year. Right. But I think the pandemic only accelerated that and, and kind of woke people up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's been growing over the last 10 years and will continue to grow. So it's a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. A good, uh, yeah. Good area to good niche to be in, but it's, it's actually a, a fairly big niche. Um, how about breakfast at, uh, you know, breakfast, you, you've got a day part. Great. But there's also a lot of snacking opportunity, it would seem, or maybe even a substitute meal, or let's say I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing a little fasting here and there and I want to, I don't want to come off of the fast by eating a steak and whatever else. Um, have you ever looked at the idea of, 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 you know, basically changing, broadening the day part a little bit with product? Yeah. So a lot of people eat this. Um, first of all, we have a ton of intermittent fasters that, that are customers that just eat this for lunch to break their fast. Um, yeah. I personally eat them for lunch more often than for breakfast, just because I, I often work through lunch and I'll, you know, look at the time and be yep. starving at three o'clock. Uh, this is a little, it's an easy way to just grab it, pound it at 12 and, you know, you fit your full till dinner. Um, so I actually use it more for, for lunch than breakfast. And I've heard that with some customers too. Uh, but, you know, you, you got a great point. Um, complimentary products that can be consumed outside of the breakfast occasion, which is still over 80% of our use, um, are, are a great direction and we're exploring it. Yeah. Awesome. Looks good. Um, one of the things challenges, um, I mean, obviously, so you want to keep control for a whole bunch of good reasons. You want to keep control of of manufacturing and stuff and stuff going forward. Um, are you benefiting at all from the fact that there are maybe some other types of foods and stuff out there that have similar type of machinery 
or are you having to basically design this stuff or have a designer come in and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with the line. Yeah. So we've built some of our own stuff. Like we've worked with local engineers, engineering programs um, through universities uh, to do um, some builds. It's a pretty, it's a great recommendation for those that have, um, have a facility or are looking for custom equipment. We've gotten yep. really low cost, effective stuff. Um, a little more maintenance required with those, of course, but, but really good price. Uh, fortunately, and we, you know, we still work with standard stuff like augers, vibratory machines, ribbon blenders. Um, you know, we're, we're doing all that, uh, just buying machines. It's more in the assembly and the efficiency to like optimize throughput uh, where, where this, the difference comes in. We can't just blend everything up and drop it in a single drop via auger. We have to drop it into different distinct drops. And that, and that makes it, you know, it, it essentially breaks the mold of what contract manufacturers have currently set up. So right. it's not totally custom stuff, but it's custom lines that would need to be assembled um, with new machinery and dedicated floor space, of course. So it makes it really difficult. Um, how did you find the transition from a very, very solo existence in terms of performance and competition and whatever else to being a founder and then CEO of growing concern? That's a great question. and. Far and away, there's a lot of things that translated from poker to, to business in this journey. Um, the one that didn't is absolutely <laughs> that, that, that solo nature where you're responsible for yourself. You know, you can, like, I'm, I'm very critical of myself, um, you know, likely to a fault for better or worse. Um, and, you know, learning how, to, learning how to manage a team with no corporate experience on either side of the fence, either leadership or, um, you know, employee, uh, it, it was a really, really tough transition. Um, made a lot of mistakes in the first couple of years. Um, probably, you know, uh, could have handled things better. You know, just just a lot of issues that now that I know what I know with with different different levels of understanding for different people. It, it you know, I wish I could have redone some things. <laughs> and definitely, uh, you know, it's a learning experience and and no regrets. Everything works out the way it's supposed to. I feel, but um, it was really tough. And you know, I, I'm I'm really proud of where I've grown to and you know, you never stop learning and I have so much more to learn, but it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. Yeah, I can. Yes, I can imagine. Are you, uh, do you still do sales or we uh, got yes, a team on that? We, we got, we got a good team. I, I still, um, I still, so right now I still have some marketing functions and performance reporting into me, mm-hmm. um, like Facebook, Google. Um, but we, uh, we do have a good team, um, directly handling the buying. And it, it, important for important for growth is to, to to get that team together. It's it's um, 100%, yeah <laughs> yeah um, you can't do it all. <laughs> no no you had to pull it pull it together. Um, going forward, um, you know obviously a grocery. So one of the odd things about this business is is that it, it uh, when you scale it scales really big all of a sudden very quickly. You know you go from two hundred stores to two thousand stores or whatever. Um, have you thought about looking at partners uh, for going in, either partners in the manufacturing side or partners in the distribution side um, for growing the company, or do you guys want to stay settled? So, so we're working with uh, Unify and KE right now, um, distributing to them. And we, we're, we're on a bunch of DCs, uh, maybe like three each. Um, so just getting started still. But uh, on the manufacturing side, yeah, we have been working with other local manufacturers uh, to just, just to get them set up in anticipation of, of, uh, you know, some growth here. Working with it. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like fun. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to get you back again when the next hundred million, whatever. And, you know, um, General Mills comes to buy you out or whatever. Um, is there a, is there a, an exit strategy down the road? Yeah. You know, I think I've, I've, 
I'm definitely not the kind of person to say, oh, if we get to 100 million or 200 million, I'm selling. Um, I mean, I love this. Uh, I'm really excited about what we're building. And I think there's a lot of a lot of potential here. So, yeah, I mean, you know, money's money's great and all, but it's truly not the reason, um, you know, I'm doing this. I, I really want to build this and see how big it can get. And, and I know the team is is in the same line of thinking. And so, yeah, we're just going to keep having fun with it and keep growing the business. So on, on that note, we uh, we often quiz our guests a little bit. We have a segment, uh, another segment show we call Words to Grow By, and it's taken from this part of the show, which is where um, talking to fellow entrepreneurs and stuff, we'd like you to, if you can, narrow it down to one word, one sentence, a phrase or a topic, something you want to leave with fellow entrepreneurs, um, whether it comes from the business or from poker doesn't matter, but uh, what would you say to fellow entrepreneurs out there who are trying to grow their businesses the way you are? Yeah, I'd say the biggest lesson I've learned, and it, it is a poker thing, um, is the idea of not being tied to results. Uh, this is a little counterintuitive in the business world I found. Okay. Uh, but in poker, you know, you can't control all the results. You, you, in fact, can't control any of the results by nature. They're, they're, you know, probabilistic with what you can't control is the process and the decisions that you make with the information you have. And so this is, I know this is a pretty wordy response for your one. No, no, that, no that's but, fine. That's fine. Yeah, but, but it's this idea of, you know, expectation um, versus realized results. And so um, like with our team, you know, if something happens and, you know, it's a negative, negative result for the business. Uh, but, you know, with the information that the teammate or I, or we had at the time, we made the best choice uh, and the result was just unfavorable. Then we don't even think twice about it. Of course, like we always want to try to learn and, and improve processes. If there's higher risk than we initially assess, then we'll change our thinking. But you know, it's only when it's only when you're not thinking through the decision, the, the issue, and then a negative result happens um, where there's some sort of where there's a real issue there, and we need to address that. But 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 mostly just making decisions, good decisions with the information you have, and not being tied to the results of those decisions is a game right. changer. Right. It's uh, and and that's actually. Excellent advice. And we will, we will use that. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's um, a story from uh, of all the cliches in the world, James Bond, but in the books, not in the movie, in the books, at Casino Royale, he plays um, uh, Baccarat and he plays um, at, at the roulette wheel. And although he knows that there is no, no way to see a thread in the performance of the wheel, over the course of the evening, he always goes in and looks at the chart because they post the chart of what comes up, whether it's one or double zero or green or red or whatever. But he goes and he has to look at it because he has to he has to think, oh, maybe I see a pattern or whatever, even though, you know, there's no there's no pattern. There's not going to be a pattern, yeah. but still got to go look at it because I'm going to feel more comfortable about the decision I make if I have that information. So this is one of those <laughs> odd, odd yeah. things. Um, uh, first of all, thanks for being with us, taking the time. We're going to want want to hear more in the in the future from you and uh you guys will see the products out there you can of course get them at overnightoats.com and you can get oh, them at amazon what's overnight and you, <laughs> yeah oats.com right uh, yeah oats overnight.com yeah. sorry overnight oats.com is actually oats overnight.com <laughs> oh yeah. sorry reverse it oh, yeah. guys you can get them at oats overnight.com and you can also get them now at wegmans and soon to be other stores so we can do that. But anyway, so thanks for taking the time to be with us, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Uh, one last question. Any temptation to return to the table? <laughs> yeah, so I miss poker. I do. I, I mean, I'm, I would never go back. 
full time. Like I would never leave this for poker. This is absolutely where I want to be. Um, but it's fun. You know, I, I really enjoyed poker. So, you know, yeah, I, someday I'll probably play some more poker. Maybe I'll swing by a world series here coming up. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Thanks so much. And we'll be, uh, we'll be talking to you in uh, probably a couple months. Awesome. Thanks. Steve. All right. Thanks to all of you for joining us on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health, and wellness, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, and founder coaching. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, and we'll see you all next week.